this means accountability. What I mean by that is there have been over the past several years, as the E in ESG has come to the forefront, there have been a lot of commitments that companies have made. And some have even made statements to say, hey, this is what we are committing to carbon neutral by X date. And those dates just seem to continue to move out for a lot of companies. And so having this disclosure rule gives the public the insight across the board for all public companies into those targets that companies are committing into the climate related risks that those companies are seeing. ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. This is Tom Fox. We take things in a little bit different direction today as I recently interviewed Mark Henderson and Dan Baines, both from Exeter. The interview was around supply chain risk management. We had a very interesting conversation around ESG and the energy industry and the role of supply chain in ESG. It was a very uh, powerful segment. I certainly learned quite a bit, and I thought it would be a great little primer for those in the energy industry and those beyond on some of the issues that not only the energy industry faces, but also overlaid with supply chain and how you might begin to think through these if you are in a different sector. They're certainly ubiquitous and they may give you some insights into ways that you might go in a little bit different direction. So once again, Dan Baines and Mark Henderson from Exeger on ESG issues in the energy space. Gentlemen, let me change the focus again to perhaps the most ubiquitous three letters or buzzwords in business over the past 18 months or so, and that's ESG. ESG is very high profile within the energy space. And Mark, if I could turn to you and ask you, how does or has ESG regulatory risk management evolved within the energy industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I spend a lot of a lot of my time in our sessions with clients focusing on exactly these issues. So we're seeing some interesting components around ESG in particular. Obviously, your listeners and everybody is very well aware that E has traditionally been the most, probably the most focused on item in the acronym. But what we've seen globally with our client base, and this is reflected in the legislation of late, is that the S within ESG, the social issues, are rapidly becoming as important a focus area as environmental has traditionally been. So in the same way that we see consumers and companies and governments stop and pause about their commercial interactions with energy companies based on environmental issues, I think we're going to see in the future consumers, companies and governments stop and pause based on social issues too, which to me I think is not only the right thing to do, but there's huge commercial incentive for companies to move forward in this space appropriately and effectively. And that is really married to the legislation. So if you look across the US and Australia and, and the UK, Brazil, France, Italy as well, all have some form or another of modern slavery legislation passed. I think the US actually goes all the way back to 1930 with Section 307 of the Tariff Act and obviously 
has much more modern day legislation within social issues such as the Uyghur Act of last year. If you look at other companies, they have significant legislation to respond to in other jurisdictions. So in Germany, we've got the Supply Chain Due Diligence Act that will come into effect in 2023, 1st of January, and that is going to require companies to identify, assess, prevent and remedy human rights risks and impacts across their supply chains. And that's going to have actual possible commercial consequences for not meeting those requirements, Tom. So in Germany, for example, companies will be at the risk of being fined up to 800,000 euros and possibly the exclusion of winning public contracts in Germany for up to three years. So there's significant commercial pressure to get this right. And then in Canada, for example, we've got the planned bill S211, which has been working its way through the legislature for some time. I think it's currently at the third reading in the Senate, but that is going to create increased focus on social issues within ESG for the energy industry as well. So we're seeing environmental continue to remain and rightly so as a front and center issue, but social issues, particularly around modern slavery, are increasing in scope and increasing in attention, Tom. So Dan, if I could turn to you with the recently released SEC proposed rules on the climate risk management disclosure and ask you, at least in the proposed form, what did you see that these would mean for energy companies recognizing they are proposed and there may be amendments, but the SEC may move forward. So what were your thoughts on the proposed rules? Sure. This means accountability. What I mean by that is there have been over the past several years, as the E in ESG has come to the forefront, there have been a lot of commitments that companies have made. And some have even made statements to say, hey, this is what we are committing to carbon neutral by X date. And those dates just seem to continue to move out for a lot of companies. And so having this disclosure rule gives the public the insight across the board for all public companies into those targets that companies are committing into the climate related risks that those companies are seeing. And since it is in the financial statements, it will be audited and so forth. And so I do think that if this rule were to be enacted as it's written, it will provide accountability across the energy sector, but also across really all public companies here that fall under this rule. Let me follow that up with a question about scope three, because to me, Dan, it really follows part of our conversation today around transparency and accountability, but also moving down the supply chain and that leading to perhaps commercial opportunities that were not there before because of collaboration. So I wanted to get your thoughts on where you see scope three, how energy companies may manage scope three, and maybe even it just follows from what you said about the proposed rules about accountability and transparency. Yeah, that's a great point, Tom. I think it does kind of round out some of the themes that we were talking about today around, yes, accountability, but also partnership. And so scope three being really having the data to look into your supply chain and understand emissions that are occurring within your supply chain. In order to have that information and have those conversations with your suppliers and your supplier suppliers and so forth, 
it really does come with an opportunity to have a more meaningful relationship across your supply chain and find those efficiencies, even that we were discussing before across the control environment, but finding those efficiencies when it comes to environmental risk, emissions there, scope three, in order to get the data that is required for scope three, it does require that partnership and the industry to come together in order to find those efficiencies within the supply chain. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any additional information on yourselves or any of the topics we've talked about or Exeger and some of the solutions you referenced, what would be the best way for them to find out more information? The best way is to go to Exeger.com. We have a lot of detail there on third-party risk management and supply chain risk management. We've just launched a product. Gentlemen, I wanted to thank you again for taking this time to visit with me. I've certainly learned a lot in this podcast, and I think our listeners will too. I look forward to continuing this conversation. 